welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you navigate the six divorced and done steps to move through your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we talk about in Divorced and Done is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, how are you? I am, um, you know, we're here. We're doing it. We're thinking about it. We're back on the podcast, um, which is a great joy in my life. And other than this and sort of my practice, there's nothing else going on. So I'm doing just fine. How about you? I would concur with everything you just said. And we love doing this podcast because you and I have been doing this now by and large twice a week for a little bit more than a year. And we've seen lots of growth and lots of engagement. So we're helping somebody, even if it's just one or two people that enjoy listening to us. And of course, our podcast grew out of the big thing that happened in the last two years to everybody, no matter where you are in the world. Of course, the pandemic. And yes, we acknowledge lots of people died. Yes, we acknowledge there were lots of political ramifications, both probably positive and negative around the world, no matter whether you are pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-stimulus, anti-stimulus, things happened. Or as you and I used to say when we were writing exams in law school, something's going to happen and a whole lot of something's happened. But there were some silver linings to the pandemic and one that you and I haven't really talked about a lot on this podcast and will maybe address tonight is the change that we saw in our court system. And I talked about this a little bit in our earlier episode with our friend in Texas, attorney Hannah Hambry Bell and digital court access. Because basically through the Western world, actually even in Europe, anywhere, and I saw it in a European movie, courts all went online almost immediately because we couldn't be with people, we couldn't be in places, but we used our technology and every jurisdiction leveraged that technology to make sure we still had access to justice, even though we couldn't physically be in the places where we used to do justice, in courthouses, in courtrooms. And as one legal advocate in Ontario said, the onset of the pandemic in March of 2020 made us move 25 years in 25 days. So this week, we're talking pandemic and digital court pieces. But if you want to send us questions, comments, as always, we take your questions, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com and voicemails speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. Darren Schmidt, how are you enjoying the technology? Well, the reason we raised this is because now, uh, as we record this uh, at the end of May, this episode will be released at the outset of uh, sometime in early June 2022. Um, I think most provinces and territories across Canada have started to, if not have fully gone back to in-person court appearances, not just in family law matters, um, but across the legal spectrum. So criminal matters, uh, civil litigation matters. Uh, child welfare matters, all matters are heading towards, it appears, 
a presumptive return to in-person court appearances for all matters. And um, there's been a pause by some in the legal community, not just lawyers, uh, perhaps people that work at courthouses, people that work in the government, uh, court users, uh, as well as judges who have taken a moment to think about this and said, why are we going back to in-person court appearances? And when I say in-person court appearances, I should make a distinction. There's lots of court appearances that are not trials where people are sitting or standing, giving evidence under oath. I think largely those type of appearances, certainly where I practice in BC, I know in Alberta, there was a presumption that those type of appearances, even through the pandemic, would occur in person. But I know in other instances, perhaps I'm thinking Ontario, um, some of those trials, when I say trial, I mean giving evidence under oath, did occur digitally with the lawyer, client, judge, court clerk, everyone sitting in different rooms, but appearing in the same virtual space. Um, I think for the most part, those types of appearances uh, were in person. I could be wrong. But there's lots of other appearances in courtrooms that are not people giving evidence under oath. They're procedural hearings, like a case conference or a judicial dispute resolution, whatever you might call it. Um, there's a pretrial conference. Uh, there's a mediation. There's um, you know an inst- a chambers application where people are arguing based on affidavit evidence. No one's giving evidence in person. So the crux is a lot of these appearances, no one's giving evidence. And coming back to now we're returning to in-person court appearances. There's a lot of people in uh, the legal industry that are thinking, why are we returning back to in-person court appearances? As you say, Rob, 25 years in 25 days, why are we unwinding all of the progress, at least from those people that are questioning this progress in their eyes, why are we unwinding it? And I think that's the purpose of our discussion today is not only let people know that are listening to this, you may be, if not almost certainly headed back to an in-person court appearance presumptively, but more broadly, um, why has this happened? What's happening and what can be done about it? And I know, Rob, you attended a legal seminar on this topic recently. Um, what, what can you tell us about that? And what were some of the, the takeaways from that legal seminar? Well, the big piece that I got from that seminar was a few judges, I think it was one from Ontario, Alberta, and Nova Scotia were speaking. And someone made the comment, justice is a service we provide, not necessarily a place. And that was a really good way of framing our discussion. Because anyone who's listened to our podcast where we've talked about sort of the anatomy of trial, the anatomy of going to court, traditionally, to get any action into court, just starting a court action, even before those trial dates are scheduled, maybe initial hearings, uh, mediations, anything, someone needs to file some documents. That's always step one. And that traditionally involved printing some papers, putting those papers together. Maybe you or your lawyer need to sign those papers. Then they need to go to the courthouse. Someone needs to take them there. Is your lawyer taking them there? is a runner, a courier taking them there. They get stamped. They come back. Those papers then need to be served officially on the other party. So all of those steps and all of those pieces take time. 
once those papers are served, maybe there's a date where something first happens in court. We're going to go to court. We're going to show up. There's going to be, as we've talked about, at chambers dates, which are those initial appearances. As you've called it, Darren, previously a cattle call. You could be in a room with 70 people. We're waiting there for but sometimes even up to four hours or longer before our matter is called, where we're saying what sort of next steps are going to be happening. So there's lots of first pieces along the way to trial that where we're doing work that's not even legal work, the process of getting the document to court, getting the document served, sitting in the courtroom waiting for our matter to be called. And all of those add hours and time, both times in terms of time spent and time in terms of time billed that costs you, the client, money that were really front-loaded expenses. And almost overnight, we said, we're doing this digitally. We're still preparing the documents, still doing all those things, but we're now doing this in a paperless format. And the thing that's been really great in those court appearances, now seeing that people, instead of having to go to that chamber's appearance and sit in a room with 70 people, we're still sitting in a room full of lots of people, but it's a digital room. And these judges in this conference commented on that using one example because of efficiencies of Zoom, not needing to have everyone come down to the courthouse, moving witnesses in and out. This was the justice, I think, out of Ontario, used the example. An eight-week trial, so something that was scheduled to be heard over eight weeks, so that's 40 business days, they were able to conclude it all in four, in four weeks because of the efficiency of just going next witness, next witness, next witness, rolling things through on video. And that's not to say we're going to have trials over video or even necessarily that that's your position or my position, but it just shows that stripping this down made things more quickly uh, and made things go more smoothly. Another judge made the comment, said the number one thing he was seeing was lots of people appearing from Tim Hortons and McDonald's. Why? Because Tim Hortons and McDonald's have free Wi-Fi and it was really easy for people that maybe don't have easy access to transportation, can't take a day off work, go down to the courthouse park and sit there for four hours. They could check in from really anywhere or your cars or anything. So there's no reason for people to be late, for courts to say, oh, we have to wait for this person to get here. I had an example relatively recently. I was in court and um, I was doing a matter and it was on digital court. It was over. The next matter called was a former client of mine. And this former client, I still had his phone number, we're on good terms. I phoned him and said, your matter's in court. You need to be there now. And he said, holy smokes, I got the date wrong. And I have no idea where he was in the city or even if he was in the city at all. But because of that phone call, he was able to, and because of our digital setup, he was able to be in that courtroom within five minutes, speak to his matter, do what he needed to do, and didn't lose by default. What a fantastic efficiency. So not to continue down this path and sort of give all of these examples, but you and I know from other lawyers in the country the stakeholders we've heard from professionals working in our system, I think it can be said writ large, digital is good. So it doesn't make sense, and you and I have talked about this personally between ourselves, 
why is this happening? About two months ago, BC Provincial Court went back to all person. Alberta Provincial Court is going back to all person. Ontario is also going back to in person. Courts are doing this, but they're not really saying why. And not to say courts are wrong in doing this or we're angry or upset with the courts, but we made such as an, in, I don't want to say as an industry, as a profession and as an institution, our legal system as the third pillar of government made such good progress in saying we can now make our judicial system more efficient, where before we were acting like it was 1980. Why would we step back from that now? And I think the universal fear is if it took a pandemic to get us into that system, if we no longer have a pandemic, what other natural event will provide the impetus uh, or the gas for all of us as a profession to be back in that digital mode again where we have such good efficiencies? So I think now is a, <clears throat> a time for the big reveal. You and I clearly stand on, if there is an argument, on the maintain virtual court for the majority of family law matters, procedural matters, uh, wherever you may be, uh, because of the various efficiencies that we've uh, you've just um, provided. Um, anecdotally, at least in my practice, I've had fairly good experience with virtual court appearances uh, myself, uh, even with a self-represented party on the other side of another file, um, having, <clears throat> excuse me, um, my own clients appearing in their own home. And yeah, there's some degree of awkwardness and you have to sort of help them understand, you know, maybe you want to be in a quiet area of the house. You, you, you know, you don't have to wear a suit, but you have to kind of put something on other than pajamas, certainly wear a shirt. Um, don't have the cat filter on. We all saw that course, uh, viral yes. news story uh, from the lawyer, I believe, out of Texas that had the That's cat correct, filter yeah. on. And that was a, that, but that was a feel-good story. And I think the great thing about that, not to go off on that, was no one faulted that lawyer for that problem that that lawyer faced in that moment. They We all treated it like... We're all getting through this. We're all learning the technology. Let's have a laugh. Um, let's not hold this against you. And I don't know what that lawyer ultimately did, whether he sort of leveraged that and went on a media tour or whatever. But um, no one, at least from my experience, looked at that and went, what a dummy. Um, how bad is virtual court if you have uh, cat filters on uh, from your lawyer? Uh, we must go back to in-person because look at all these imperfections. But coming back to, you know, you and I standing on the uh, side of the aisle that says, let's maintain virtual court appearances. As you said, Rob, my biggest concern here is not necessarily that we're going back to in-person court appearances. My biggest concern is we haven't been told why. And you touched on that at the end. I mean, in, in BC, what we saw through the pandemic was various practice directions or court directions from our Supreme Court and provincial court as to what was happening. There was, I mean, dozens of them through the course of the pandemic as the uh, pandemic was evolving, what would be happening in court at various junctures. At some, at some instances, court was shut down entirely. At other instances, they had criminal matters running through the court, et cetera. But 
ultimately, at the end, uh, as you say, a month or two ago, we got a practice direction in Supreme Court. Basically, all matters are just now in person. The practice direction provided no rationale from the Chief Justice of our province or anyone on behalf of the Attorney General in our province as to why that decision was made. So here's where we start speculating because we don't know why the decision was made. And um, it's not great to speculate, but I mean, some thoughts have circulated. So one can think, um, what industry loves tradition more than law? Um, We are a a profession steeped in uh, tradition and history. Of course, Canadian lawyers to this day on, on certain types of superior court appearances still wear a barrister's gown. Um, and maintain that linkage to our historical profession um, evolving from Great Britain. Uh, so we do like the notion of tradition, uh, and that same barrister gown piece applies aclo- across many Commonwealth nations. So one may speculate, well, is this just um, a decision that says, or is is rooted in, well, we're, we must honor the tradition of being a lawyer and a tradition of being a lawyer is advocating for one's client physically in a courtroom and using the art of persuasion, which includes the physical movements and speech of the lawyer physically in front of the adjudicator. Um, Is that what this is about? Is it about maintaining the tradition and history of our profession? Once again, I don't know. And I, I haven't received any rationale from the court. Neither has anyone on this. Another topic of speculation is, you know, is it the the people running the courthouse, the the clerks and the bureaucrats? Is it more convenient for them to have us all in a courtroom on those procedural docket days, uh, running a court list, whereby we're all in the in the same courtroom in the same space, and they're not queuing up individual appearances one by one on the uh, MS Teams or Zoom link. And certainly I can understand that there would be added pressures on those uh, folks that do work at the courthouse, queuing up those appearances, making sure everyone's connected, making sure all the audio works. That hard work doesn't go unrecognized. And I think it's really important to maybe take a moment here and just say, I think the true champions through all of the virtual court appearances were those IT folks, uh, those bureaucrats, uh, that's probably not the right word, but those folks that work for the government that made all this happen Everyone that, that made 25 those days. Literal wheels turn <clears throat> to make us, that we could all connect with each other through the internet. Absolutely. And that is extremely hard work, both at the outset and to maintain that process moving forward. No one doubts that. That is not easy. I've had just anecdotally, again, uh, a number of appearances where, yeah, the connections haven't been great and an IT person's had to come in and help. And it, it's taken a little bit longer at the outset to set that up. Uh, so, so I mean, that's a, I recognize that can be a challenge for our government to maintain those virtual court appearances. Um, but other than tradition and maybe the inconvenience of uh, our courts to maintain the virtual court appearances, I'm at a loss for really understanding what the decision or rationale for that decision was. Uh, Rob, do you, I mean, any other thoughts on that in terms of just why this decision might have been made? I get it's just speculation, I, but... I. You've identified the big pieces you and I have talked about before. I think the pieces you've suggested are 
really the best answers. I think about where have our lives in terms of ease of access not really been improved by these technological pieces. I mean, you no longer have to go down to the motor club or a registry to renew your car registration every year. You can do that online. Parking tickets, um, speeding tickets, those sorts of things, you can pay them online. And we've had that now for a long time. So you don't have to go down, stand in line somewhere and do something that online payment, heck, shopping, Amazon, these are not... Uh, This sounds trite to say, online is the trend. And to come back to what came out of that presentation I saw with the courts and what I just mentioned, the big concern is if we slip back to the old ways, when will we get the impetus again to move forward and say, we must engage this digital technology because otherwise it may just not happen and we will continue to be paper-based um, which we can be so much more efficient if we all go digital. And yeah, it'll take growing pains along the way. I think even apart from the court access piece, you and I in our own practices, when we started practicing law almost 10 years ago when we were students, I know both of the firms that we were at were almost all paper-based. And I think about when I started at my first firm, they would print every email in paper form and put it on the file. <laughs> Anyone listening to this who's had a lawyer even for 10 minutes, you know <laughs> how many emails can go back and forth between you and your lawyer, the lawyer and the other lawyer, uh, scheduling anything. Those files would get so thick so quickly. I think about some of those first few files I worked on as a student, they would balloon from one file folder, in some instances, to a banker's box inside of six months or two banker's boxes, depending on how much financial disclosure there was and everything else. Now, imagine you're the courts, and this used to be the way here, and every time someone files something in paper, They have to keep a record of that. The amount of paper was just voluminous. You and I haven't actually talked about this. My, I'm trying really hard for my practice to be paperless, save for those things that were required by our regulator to keep on a record, like a piece of ID or something else in a paper folder, just so we don't have all that paper environmentally and for storage. And not to sound like a broken record, But if we all don't do the digital things and do the hard work of change, because change is hard for everybody, no matter what you're doing, whether you're going online, whether you're starting a new diet, whether you want to pay off a whole bunch of debt. But once you start doing it and you have the momentum to go forward, keep going, because if you fall off and go back, it's that much harder to get started again. One last piece, um, and it links into what we're doing here and uh, our, our other work, Rob, you and I on uh, social media that has been um, maybe an unintended consequence of doing this and a really positive one is um, through the the podcast, through this show and through uh, LinkedIn and TikTok, we've met a lot of you and um, we've met a lot of you within our own provinces. And so what's happened is I've gotten uh, contacted by folks that don't live in Vernon, where I live, 
<clears throat> they live in Fort St. John, BC, which is, a, you know, an eight, eight to 10 hour drive north of me. And, and through the pandemic saying, I really like you and, and I need a lawyer. And I was happy to take the file because I knew that I wasn't required to physically attend in a courtroom. And it really provided, and this is sort of a, a, a hokey phrase, if you will, access to justice. And it, it allowed it you to appear in a remote jurisdiction from Vernon. Yes. And um, that is a concern for people that do live outside of the bigger centers in this country. And we're increasingly becoming a bigger center country of our six or eight big, big cities and maybe a hundred other regional centers across this country. But there are other folks that live in regional or rural enclaves of this country. And they too deserve a lawyer. Um, through the pandemic, I had an opportunity to speak with someone um, from a Northern Territory. I won't say where from, um, but this person engaged with me online and they lived somewhere extremely remote that I had no idea where this even was. And I looked on a map and went, holy cow, this is way off the beaten track, like way, way. I would, for me to physically get to where they were, I would have to take probably at least three or four flights and it would take me 24 hours probably to get there. Um, this and was so thousands remote. of dollars, thousands of dollars. Yes. And they reached out to me and said, um, I have a family law problem and here's the circumstances. And we had an extensive meeting. I was able to give them some advice and it was contemplated. Perhaps I could take the file for various circumstances. I didn't, but at least at that moment, the thought of I could possibly take this file because of the internet. How fantastic, not just because of me and this client, but for everyone to think, you know, I don't have to drive or fly in from my remote area to go find a lawyer or physically show up at a court appearance and take, you know, for some folks, maybe that's a six hour drive into your, into totally. your regional courthouse. Um, and this is possibly being, in a sense, undone at this juncture as we record this podcast. I think it's an awful shame. Um, and, you know, obviously you and I are respectfully sort of taking a pause here along with many of our colleagues in the legal industry, legal profession, and saying, maybe we need to rethink taking that step backwards. It is a unique legal issue and that this issue has affected every lawyer in every practice area around the world. And almost universally, unlike any other issue, we have seen more passion from our bars and our practitioners to continue to develop this and to continue for all the reasons we've articulated in this episode, to not sound hokey, the digital and the internet is the way of the future. Hopefully we stay on that edge and stay on top of it for everything we've talked about today. If you are sitting at home and you're thinking, wow, I maybe this spurred some thoughts and you have some comments about uh, virtual court appearances and maybe you want them uh, to stay in place because of your own matter, it's been convenient for you. Or maybe you stand on the other end of the spectrum and, and you have yeah. some interesting thoughts for us. We would actually really love to hear from you and we could address your comment or question on a future episode. Of course, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or always by voice message 
to speakpipe.com slash divorced and done, A-N-D done. And you can record a 90-second voicemail message for us. You can leave your name out. It's totally anonymous. We would love to hear from you. Well, Darren Schmidt, thank you for recording with me this evening. As always, because of the incredible internet, we're probably a thousand miles apart. You're in the interior of BC. I'm in Calgary. I'm Rob Woodward. Thanks for being with me. This has been Divorced and Done, and we look forward to being with you.